You're listening to a special edition of Energy Insiders, a weekly podcast on clean energy and climate policy. This special edition was recorded in Australia for the Global Disruptive Innovation Festival, an online festival of ideas happening throughout November 2017. Energy Insiders is presented by Renew Economy's editor, Giles Parkinson. Hello, my name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and co-host of our Energy Insiders podcast. We're calling this special episode The Tech Nerd's User-Friendly Guide to Reinventing Electricity for Consumers. And we have three guests to help our way through this. They are, firstly, the CEO of energy tech company WattWatchers, Gavin Dyett. So Welcome, Gavin. Hi, Giles. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we've also got the founder of One Million Women and um, CEO of that organisation, Natalie Isaacs. Um, hi, Natalie. How are you? Uh, good. Thanks, Giles. Okay, look, thanks for joining us. And we've also joined by Darius Salgo, the um, head of young startup um, company and local energy trading company, Nexergy. Um, hi, Darius. How are you? I'm well, Giles. Thanks. Good, good. Look, um, thanks for all for joining us. Look, just by a wonderful piece of timing, uh, I saw this week that Ausnet, which is one of our one of Australia's biggest network providers, predicts that half of all demand will be satisfied by consumers by around 2050. And that is that households and businesses with solar on their roofs and batteries in their sheds will be providing much of their own power. And that, of course, is a big change in the way that we currently do business, which has all been about centralised generation and huge networks. But before I get into this, what this means for consumers, which is the big topic of, the, uh, of this episode and how it will all be managed, can I get an indication from each of you about whether you think that this prediction is right and whether, in fact, it'll actually be faster or slower. Darius, um, what do you make of it? Do you think that by 2050, we're half of all generation or about that will be generated by the consumers themselves? I think it's quite likely that we'll get to that or around that number by 2050. I think um, a lot of the other research organisations have come to a similar conclusion. And when we look at the historical uptake of distributed energy resources just in the last five years, we can project that out, and I think it's it's going to be around those numbers, yeah. Mm. Um, Natalie, um, what do you make of that? Um, well, I... Um... I think that uh, looking at how um, our audience is going, um, it's the the uptake of solar, um, you know, the appetite for um, renewable energy is 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 accelerated so much in the um, in the last few years, and so um, if I use that as an indication, then um, um, yeah, I see real acceleration. I'm not sure whether you know it'll be sooner than that, but I I certainly hope so. I just came back from I went on a tour to Liddell um, a couple of days ago, and oh my goodness, that dinosaur of a power station um, and to see it and to see that infrastructure um, I certainly hope it, yeah, it happens it faster it, it doesn't look so much 20th century as 19th century um, it's unbelievable <laughs> yeah look and, and and I guess um Gavin um, a lot of this is going to be driven by um, the prices we're seeing the soaring price of the grid um, and that doesn't seem to be about technologies itself but actually about the power of the incumbents yet we are also seeing the falling price of new technology namely solar and storage and all the other wonderful bits and pieces in gadgetry and software and what have you um, that will go with it now you're a self-confessed tech nerd tell us what would energy in your home look like 
if you could use all the data on the consumer tech that you want? Well, Giles, uh, some of the energy in my home today already looks like this. Um, I've really focused on how you reduce the cost of energy just by using it at the right times. And technology is a real enabler of some of that stuff. It's, and that's probably going to be some of the challenges we have. I had this great conversation in a taxi the other day. And the taxi driver told me he'd put five kilowatts of solar on and it hadn't made any difference to his bill. And we proceeded to have a whole conversation around, have you shifted any of your load to the middle of the day yet? And as simple as that was, he knew nothing about that. And that's when you know technology can help solve a lot of those issues once we start to have the right devices and the right data and measurement out there. Well, exactly. So as attractive as solar and storage can be, um, if you don't actually monitor it properly or, or, or use it properly, you're actually just swapping one bit of dumb equipment for another piece of dumb equipment. Yeah. And... People don't get that. Um, and, and this was a great conversation I had, completely unexpected. And he went away with a whole heap of ideas of how he was going to save a lot more on his energy bill. <laughs> well, good luck to him. Um, now, Natalie, I mean, you um, are head of a, um, you know, a, a, a group called One Million Women, and you're all about engaging, um, using the power of social media to sort of galvanise that group. Um, how are you going in getting women in particular to lead their households in consuming, uh, and well, consuming energy, I guess, smarter, um, wasting less, um, and how hard is it to get people to change the behaviour? Yeah, it's, um, you know, uh, behaviour change is actually the elephant in the room and um, uh, no one really wants to, you know, focus on changing the way we live because, you know, you have to do it in this this uh, structured um, framework of our high consumption society. So it, it is a challenge to get people to change how they live. But, um, and I think, um, I mean, you know, we, we obviously focus on, on household, we focus on, on, on energy savings, energy efficiency. And, um, and I think when you give these bite-sized chunks that if I, if I do this one thing, it will result in this, you know, you'll, you see the result. And I know from my own, very, my own story, you know, before I started One Million Women, um, I wasn't anywhere on my journey at all. Um, you know, I didn't have even recycling sorted. And the thing that changed my life forever, for absolute ever, um, was that I made a a real effort to get our household electricity consumption down by 20%, the low hanging fruit, just being more vigilant around the house. And when I actually saw the bill and I saw that, that my efforts and the efforts of our household had reduced our electricity consumption and had saved me money, that was it. That was all that I needed um, to happen to literally change my life forever and start a women's movement. <laughs> so um, the, 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 whole, the key to it is that if you can see an immediate result um, in the things that you're doing, and particularly around energy, then um, it is so much easier to change the way you live. Absolutely, and and actually, sort of putting in that um, putting in that sort of behaviour that that behaviour pattern is actually quite important. I'm reminded when I bought um, a Peugeot um, eight years ago, and for the first time in my life, I actually had a car which told me how much um, petrol I was actually using at any one time. And um, I spent most of the time looking at this gauge rather than the road for a while, and um, it did actually sort of modify the way I drove. And and after about six months, I got bored of that and probably haven't looked at it since. But it did actually change my behaviour. And I guess the same thing um, happens with um, electricity. To use. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That immediate result is what will bring you along the, you know, the, the, the journey of behaviour change. So, Darius, um, what, I mean, tell us about technology here. I mean, you're involved in things like sort of local, local energy trading. Um, I'm just wondering sort of how far, down, how far down the road that is a step for most consumers. I mean, does technology sort of, um, is technology the sort of the silver bullet to this whole thing? I think technology has a large part to play in um, delivering a better consumer experience and making sure that the behaviour change that we're talking about, I mean, a great story from Gavin there about his taxi driver who was uninformed or misinformed about using his uh, daytime solar generation. Um, He didn't change his behaviour and it's because he didn't know. So for me, the best uh, future energy system is one that's actually invisible to consumers, and, and it's not invisible at the moment. Um, the, the invisible consumer experience needs to, in energy, needs to come up to speed with the rest of um, uh, or other industries that have been revolutionized by technology. And if we look at the internet um, specifically, look at uh, you know, Apple products, why have they been so successful? They've got the user experience down to a T, um, and energy hasn't come to that yet. Once you can generate on your roof and use it whenever you want and um, contribute to demand response programs in aggregate through uh, the resources that you have, um, and that all happens without you even knowing about it, then we've got something that's a a seamless uh, customer experience. And I think that point that you made there is them not knowing about it, um, because really, I mean, a bit like me with my Peugeot and my um, and my petrol gauge, uh, I'll probably be be fascinated by it by the first few months and things like that. Then after that, I really don't want to know about it. And I think the same is going to be with electricity. I think people are going to want to be able to use the toaster, sort of have the pool pool pumps going on, have the air conditioning coming on whenever they want it. And if they are being, if these things are being sort of, you know. If there is trading of energy going on or there's going to be sort of, you know, reduced consumption on the air conditioners, they don't really want to know about it, do they? Yeah, agreed. And the way that local energy trading fits into that is um, providing the platform that essentially can support the distributed energy resources like, like Blue. So you're actually using the platform that facilitates trades between consu- consumers and prosumers, those who both consume and generate. Um, and and use that platform to be able to provide demand response or frequency regulation or peak uh, peak shaving that can actually support the grid um, with the benefit of that going back to the consumers who've made an investment in a distributed energy resource. So so that's that's the sort of future that we envisage. Yeah, Gavin, Nate, you were the you were the um, I think what is it, the global chief information officer for um, one of the um, world's biggest, or perhaps even the w- world's biggest smart metering manufacturer. Um, you're in that position for almost a decade. Weren't smart meters supposed to do this for us? And um, and what happened to them? Are they are they still coming? Do we still need them, or or have they been surpassed by other technology? Uh, great question, Giles. Um, Twelve years ago. I truly believe that that switch from analog to digital would make the change and enable consumers to really engage with energy. And, you know, that's what we thought of smart meters there, and that was the intent behind where that got to. I think there was probably a couple of things that we didn't account for. Uh, One was the life cycle of these technologies is, even in the digital age, 
expected to be over 15 years and you know we don't have any technology around us that works for 15 years it's just not what we do anymore um, the second is the sheer time it takes for them to be rolled out and then the third is the lack of change in some of the regulatory environments where those devices exist and I sort of quite often use an analogy now that smart meters you know, they do have a place. They have a place for doing that regulated billing. They have a place for some degree of um, monitoring of the grid. However, are they the device that you would build consumer engagement around? No. Um, Telstra has incredibly smart devices in its exchanges that it uses for billing and it uses for throttling and it uses for a whole heap of things. But the device they have at the edge of the grid is a very specific device you know, designed around enabling consumers to have a better internet experience. And we've just got to get our head around that there is, there is going to be other technologies that will do that engagement for us. So tell me what these technologies are then, because I'm just sort of trying to think um, maybe, um, you know, as we've shifted from the old um, telephone, uh, the old landline telephone, and now we've got mobiles, and now I've got my laptop, and I wander around the house with it, and there's Wi-Fi there, and it's all in the box behind there, and I don't really understand what's going on in that box, and frankly, I don't really care as long as yep. I've got I've, I've got the I've got the connection. What is the modern en energy electricity house gonna gonna look like? I mean, apart from solar panels on the roof and possibly storage in the garage and storage in the shed, are we gonna? see anything different or is it going to be a bit like that wi-fi box there with a whole bunch of lights flashing and things going on um that we don't really have to worry about i think it's going to be a little bit more like that box um we come at it really as approach of being quite open and i'm a really big fan of off-the-shelf consumer tech so finding those ways that things will work so i often use the examples of a device like ours will be sort of this central controlled hub with independent communications and independent data. And I think that's really important for consumers. The second is then using off-the-shelf products like you know, Belkin Wemo. There's a whole heap of plug-in power packs, for instance, that could instantly start switching on your pool filter to match that solar curve. There's some really simple low-hanging fruit that we could do there. You know, those things will progress to the point where... In the morning, you're telling Siri that you'd like to spend $4 on electricity for today and could she take care of it? And talking through a variety of different That'll platforms. That'll be the first nice thing I've ever said to Siri, I've ever said. I'll let you insert the name of your favorite audio assistant there. <laughs> um, the, uh, you know, and, and them taking care of it and maybe just popping in asking the compromise. And I know that sounds like, you know, sort of fast forward into the future, but it's actually not going to be that hard. Now, what we're going to see, I mean, what we promote is that we're at the start of the innovation cycle, nowhere near the end of the innovation cycle. So with data, software, applications, artificial intelligence, machine learning, all of these sorts of things, once they get applied to energy data, we haven't seen what's possible yet. Darius, um, it seems to me from what um, Gavin said, um, looks like we're going to have a box with flashing lights in it. I guess it would be a really good idea to have some sort of display so people can actually see what they're using. Um, are we really going to have to talk to Siri or are there other ways around this? I think that there will be options to talk to Siri. There'll be options to have a dashboard and there'll be options to do nothing and everything in between. I think that the, the future that Gavin just described is on point. It's going to be a flashing box that, that does what's required. But I also think that it's the 
it's the, the tech company and, and the platform and, and tech companies that work together to, to facilitate that sort of seamless experience that are going to, um, that's, that are going to have the uptake that, with consumers that we need to see. Um, the, the, the reality is most energy consumers are disengaged and they need to have that sort of seamless and easy experience that's facilitated by technology um, to, to contribute uh, as best that they can. So the first product that comes out there and, uh, and is, is wonderfully seamless and, and uh, easy to use, I think will be a, a huge success. Okay, um, Natalie, um, these all sound very exciting things. Do you think households are going to go for this? And what do you think their motivation is going to be? Is it going to be to keep the planet green? Or is it going to be for a big reduction in their household bills? Because right now our bills are ridiculously high. And quite frankly, we keep on talking about incremental drops in bills and things like that. But we really should be aiming, it seems to me, for a big, big discount from what we're paying now. Yeah, that, that, that's right. Um, I mean, just uh, on Gavin's point, oh my goodness, if we could talk to Siri and say we want to spend four bucks a day, that I reckon that is truly exciting. Um, but I think, uh, and I know that One Million Women is, is all focused on, um, you know, um, uh, carbon savings and how you live with the least impact on the planet, but that goes hand in hand with saving money. And it is a huge um, a driving force behind, you know, households um, wanting to uh, reduce energy consumption is, is it's all about saving money. And, um, and I, I should mention, you know, um, we did a, a couple of years ago with the City of Sydney and with, with What Watchers, we, we did a, um, this um, program called Women Power where we got um, um, 12 very different households. We had, um, you know, high income, low income, single parent, um, big families, uni students, and we we um, we fitted them all with what watches. And 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 over a three month period, we really looked, analysed um, the the way that they used energy and. And, um, and the goal was to get their electricity consumption down by 20% over a three-month period and to really figure out the ways each household did that, not the 10 top tips, but the way the energy flowed. And going back to Gavin's very early point is, you know, when to turn on things and when, when, when to use them. And it was um, – and, and we, at, we thought we'd, we might make the 20%. And we absolutely smashed it. The average household reduction was 45%. And we had one house that reduced electricity consumption by 66%. That's amazing. And yeah, it was amazing. And it was, and, and you know, yes, everybody was, was excited about um, how, um, carbon savings, but equally excited about how much money they saved. So, Gavin, let's think about... Um we've got all this technology, who's going to be delivering it? Because right now, all our energy comes essentially, well, apart from what we're producing on, on solar, um, on our rooftops, from solar on our rooftops, it's all still coming from those big incumbent utilities. Now, a lot of people who think about the future think that this is actually going to change, but do you think it will really? And um, and tell me a little bit about the sort of Stockholm syndrome for, for consumers. I mean, we seem to accept and put up with an awful lot from the people who deliver us power. 
Yeah, the, the Stockholm Syndrome is a term I use often and I've even started taking it a little bit further and saying that I'm not sure the challenge is engagement with people but actually how we rehabilitate them out of the system that they're in. And and that's not to be negative to any of those players in that system. It is just not being designed for engagement and it worked well, really well, well at low prices but it doesn't work today. Well, there is a bit of a maxim, the unofficial maxim with all the utilities that is, you know, confusion is profit and possibly ignorance is profit as well. And you know what? We were all okay with that as consumers when um, energy was really cheap. I did an in-home display trial 12 years ago in Queanbeyan and we got great results, but we had to actually come up with higher artificial tariffs to engage people because... Mm. Energy was really cheap at that time. The best thing we have going in our favour right now is high energy prices. Um, just further to Natalie's comments there, the, you know, I've personally gone from 450 a month to 150 a month without changing consumption. And, and what we're trying to work on is how do you... Sorry, is that dollars in your bill? Yeah, dollars on bill. And, mm -hmm. and I don't think it's 20 or 30% people can save. I think people can save as much as they're willing to save um, and not necessarily always compromising their lifestyle. The flip side of that is the fixed income people. Um, anyone who's on a fixed income has a very different uh, problem and helping them use their energy or remove energy fear is equally as important as well. Um, Bunch of issues there and I might sort of get to, uh, yeah. yeah. Might, anyway, might that get... doesn't answer the question about the networks, I don't think. Well, tell me, very briefly, is it going to be the networks or the big utilities, the, the current utilities who are going to be delivering most of this power, or is it going to be is it going to be the retailers, is it going to be Telstra, is it going to be the RACV, is it going to be some, some other mob um, muscling in on the market? I, I think at the retail level, I'm a big fan of all the things that are happening at community level right now. You know, community um, demand response programs that we'll be able to do in the future on the back of things like DEX. Um, community retailers like Energy Locals and those, and those sorts of approaches, I find them really powerful. And I think, like a lot of stuff, we'll find the sort of reinvigoration of the community. And you will, you know, you'll feel more um, okay with spending money on energy if $10 from every bill was going to your local school, for instance. And that could change the way those models are. Mm. I think the big networks and generators will still have a role to play in delivering energy. I mean... Solar on the roof is not going to be for everybody um, and people are not going to want to generate it and they will just want to buy it and that will get solved through those the, the grid side. But how it gets delivered at the local side, I, I, that's probably what I think is one of the, the most exciting changes that technology is bringing to that sort of part of the market. Darius, you must be looking at this very closely because your company is a tech entrepreneurial company. You are involved in local energy trading. You must be looking very carefully at how you sort of fit into this market and how it might evolve. Um, where do you see it going? Yeah, uh, we certainly are um, immersed in it. We've actually partnered with Energy Locals to provide local energy trading to consumers because... Uh, or in part because retail is uh, it, it's a, a complex and it's a world that's um, quite hard to crack into without uh, a huge amount of experience. So the incumbent retailers have a lot of power for sure. Um, I think that we should be careful when talking about utilities. Retailers, I think there'll always be a, 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 um, a space for energy retail. Um, there's a service that's provided by retail and, and that will still be required. 
It'll look something very different, though, to what we currently have, where you just get a bill and you consume energy. It's going to be a, uh, a service company. Energy services uh, and energy as a service is what the future holds. And the same thing can be said for distribution networks. I mean, distribution networks will go towards something much more like a logistics company for energy, where you're able to uh, track uh, energy flows within the network and, and ensure that energy that's uh, generated on the distribution network uh, consumed within the distribution network is, is, is also settled according to the participants in the market. Natalie, um, going back to what Gavin just said there about not everyone wanting to have solar on the roof, and I guess that goes to the point about not everyone being able to have solar on the roof, and I'm thinking of all the people living in rental homes and people living in apartments, people living in shady houses, um, people simply not being able to afford the upfront payment. As, as a movement of this sort of, leader of this sort of social movement, I mean, how significant an issue is that and what do we need to do to address that? Well, um, uh, it, well, that's where uh, um, obviously energy efficiency comes into it, where you, you, you do everything possible to um, drive household um, energy consumption to its lowest. Um, and, um, um, and so that's, that's, that's really key. Um, I think going also to um, Gavin's point about, you know, uh, yes, that not not every household has can or want um, solar panels, but our focus is about building a movement. You know, um, creating a lifestyle revolution, and and the more and more people that you empower. Um, to take control of their energy, the more and more people that are um, able to will consider um, the renewable options, and and so um, so that's a very big piece. You know, we we reach um, you know one to three million women every week just through Facebook alone. And when you build the stories and the real stories about how I just saved hundreds of dollars through being more energy efficient or how um, this community is working together to put solar panels on the on, on the roofs of the street or um, uh, you know or a mixture of two and when you build that story and you empower people and you bring them along this journey they build their confidence to um, you know to, to, to go into these areas where they may not have before. And it's really interesting. I think we actually met originally in um, in, in Poland um, where you got a, a, an award at the United Nations Climate Change Conference and there was another um, outfit there that was delivering power to um, the poor people in India and bit by bit, but once again, that same thing, building a movement. And I just looked at the stats over the last, um, just recently, and I think about 100 million people have been connected um, since that time and a lot of it by that sort of simple solar light, solar 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 panels uh, it's quite extraordinary how that can actually sort of you know um snowball yeah that absolutely but but look at our you know look at australia i mean we are such a success story when it comes to um rooftop solar like over 20 percent of our houses um have have solar it's the highest penetration in the world i mean that's that's an incredible story 
It is an incredible story, and it's one that we should take advantage of. And um, I guess we're going to go towards that um, that time when almost every house has a solar panel, and presumably they might actually get battery storage as well. So let's wrap this up. Um, Gavin, I'm going to start with you. I really just want a bit of an outline of what you think needs to happen either politically or in a regulatory fashion or from the consumers, what are kind of the key things that need to happen to make sure that this does occur as quickly, as efficiently and as cheaply as it should? Uh, From a consumer's, it's easy. It's engagement. And, you know, I think engagement will start with really simple budget app type scenarios that will allow people to start engaging with their electricity bill, um, no matter where they sit on the spectrum of spending on it. Um, really hard to answer at policy and governmental level at the moment. Um, from a pure technology perspective, the governments could come out and do something really interesting like, you know, um, defining that every appliance must have Wi-Fi and talk to the cloud or something like that. And I, I, I'm literally making that up as I go. That, you know, there's, there's ways they could encourage people to bring the ecosystems together rather than trying to solve the... The, the minutiae detail of each bit. But look, primarily, I think for the next couple of years, we'll all be focused on if we can get consumers engaged across the board, they will take the lead and drive this where it needs to go. Darius? Yeah, I think that there are two components that are really going to drive this future. And that's firstly, data. Data should be everywhere um, in energy. And, and we've sort of missed that a little bit as the internet has uh, proliferated over the last 20 years and data has been everywhere in every other sector. And companies like WattWatches and and getting better monitoring out there to feed the data ecosystem will be the key to unlocking the value in distributed energy resources and, and this consumer future. And the second is network pricing. I mean, as you're aware, Giles, um, net c- the distribution network charges are between 40 and 60% of the average bill. And that's been contentious for a whole range of reasons in the last decade. Um, but bringing those down via more cost-reflective network pricing, and, and I think we'll always socialise the cost of the network to some extent because we have such a, a, a broad um, uh, area to service. But I'm talking about within the distribution network down to the the feeder level, getting that pricing more cost-reflective to facilitate peer-to-peer trading will really be revolutionary. And we have the potential, if we get these two things right, and as the cost of distributed energy resources continues to plummet, to to hone the technology here and really export it to um, other areas, other regions, including uh, emerging economies and, and assisting and empowering the next billion people who don't have access to electricity with uh, with clean, reliable, and uh, and cheap energy. Fantastic, and uh, Natalie, um, a very quick wish list um, right at the end here. Well, um, um, I'm with you know community engagement. I mean that's the key, and uh, my um, call out to anyone listening is go home and and uh, get your electricity consumption down by twenty percent. It's it's the easiest thing you can do. It's the low hanging fruit, and you can start straight away. Good on you. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Um, that was a fantastic little discussion. Um, I hope we've given um, people food for thought and some ideas to get on with. Um, Darius. Gavin, Natalie, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Charles. Thanks, Charles. Thanks, Charles. So joining us for this podcast was Gavin Deitz, the CEO of What Watches, Natalie Isaacs, the CEO and founder of One Million Women, 
and Darius Salgo, the CEO and co-founder of Nexergy. My name is Giles Parkinson, and you've been listening to Energy Insiders. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. You've been listening to a special edition of Energy Insiders, recorded for the Global Disruptive Innovation Festival. This special edition was brought to you by Watt Watchers, providing super smart devices to monitor and manage energy use.